Jameson County School Board meeting for August 17th, 2020. We are at the Student Support Services Building this evening, and the Williamson County School Board is meeting in person at 1761 West Main Street, Franklin, Tennessee, but has limited capacity. As a result, Williamson County Schools is officially meeting electronically as it is necessary to protect public health, safety, and welfare in light of the coronavirus pursuant to Executive Order Number 16, signed by Governor Bill Lee and waiver of Williamson County School Board Policy 1.400. I'd like to thank our deputies for being with us this evening, Deputy Kutras, Deputy Hooper, and Deputy Erickson. Thank you for being here, gentlemen. And as always, we will uh, first record our attendance. And so I think we need to do this uh, via voice. We have four board members that are, are in remotely to us through the Zoom. And so uh, if we go ahead and call the roll. Angela Durham. Present. Dan Cash. Present. Elliot Mitchell. He's here. I think he's on mute. Brad Fiscus. Present. Gary Anderson. Here. Jay Galbraith. Here. Sheila Cleveland. Here. Candy Emerson. Here. Rick Wimbler. Here. Eric Welch. Present. Casey Hall. Here. And Nancy Garrett. Here. So I will try my microphone again. Can you guys hear me? I yes. can hear you, but I don't yes. know if they can. We I'm can present. Yes, we hear you, Elliot. Thank you. All right, if we'd all please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, I'd like to ask our, our deputies if they'd lead us in the pledge and then remain standing for a moment of silence. Thank you. Hey, we have a special guest with us this evening, uh, County Mayor Rogers Anderson, and he is asked to speak to the board for a minute. Mr. Anderson, if you'd come up to the microphone up here, please. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here to, tonight. Um, my sole purpose of being here tonight is to recognize and honor and, and give an appreciation to your school board chairman, Gary Anderson, for his many years of service. I've had the opportunity, he came around in 1990, and um, I came around in 1986, so we've kind of uh, had the last name together for a long time and he's finally caught up with my gray hair. So Gary, if you would uh, come up here and I would like to, to read this, if you don't mind. 
whereas Gary Anderson was first elected to serve on the Williamson County School Board beginning September the 1st, 1990, and whereas his interest in helping provide the best local education for their children, including music, was an integral part of his platform when running for the position. Gary's love of education and music could be observed as he taught at Nolensville Elementary from 88 and 89, teaching elementary children how to play the, re to play the recorder, a skill he still enjoys today. And during his inaugural year on the Board of Education, the Williamson County School System opened four new schools and has since opened an additional 35 elementary, middle, or high schools. And in keeping with the vision of the school district to provide a supportive environment where students are challenged to pursue excellent in academics, athletes, athletics, and the arts, the school system is also open, along with your help, our science, technology, engineering, and math, often referred to as the STEMS school, as well as an entrepreneurial innovation center. And whereas during his tenure, he was elected by his peers to serve as the chairman of the school board twice, serving in from 2002 to 2008, and again in 2015 to currently. The student population of the district has increased significantly from approximately 11,500 students in 1990 to over 41,000 students in our calendar year. His focus and his passion and putting the students first has never wavered. Whereas him and his wife, Joy, have lived in Williams County for over 30 years, where both of their children and now their grandchildren have attended or graduated from four of the county's elementary, the middle, and the high schools. It's I that, that I be resolved that as the mayor of Williamson County that we declare next Monday, August the 27th to 2020, as Gary B. Anderson <laughs> Day in, our, in Williamson County and encourage all of our citizens to join me in the appreciation and celebration of his devoted service to not only the students of Williamson County for the past 30 years, but his commitment and his love for our county. On behalf of Gary of all the county commissioners and myself and all the many residents, we thank you for your service. We thank you for your loyalty and above all, let your wife know and your family know, thanks for sharing this for the last 30 years. Very nice, sir. Here, here. <laughs> I would, I'm gonna save comments to the end of the meeting so we don't interfere with the amount of time we have set aside for this while people are watching at home and we have guests with us this evening to speak. So thank you very much, Rogers, appreciate it. Thank you, board, and we'll move on with the meeting now. Thanks. Salzburg, did you want to say yeah, something? Yeah. No? Okay. All right. 
All right, then the next thing we have on our agenda is the items of particular public interest. We have signed up this evening five people to speak. Uh, when I call your name, if you'd please come up to the podium, say your name, your address, and what you're wanting to speak about, and you will have three minutes to do your do your comments. Our timekeeper is right here, Miss Nancy Garrett. She has a time uh, time clock to keep up with it. So our first speaker is Mr. Jonathan Wells. Yes, that's a okay. name address. Yes, so my name's Jonathan Wells. <clears throat> Excuse me. I live at uh, 402 Burkdale, 37064. So I'm a Franklin resident, Casey. I'm going to talk a little bit about the reopening plan. I have some thoughts on that. Ready? Okay. So um, I'm going to try to make this very quick. Um, first, I wanted to touch on inclusivity. Um, just kind of curious. There's been a lot of talk about remote and online learning. Um, everybody's got to have an internet connection. I know there's about 5,000 households within Williamson County that, that has no internet service. So I was kind of curious, I know there's hotspots out there. I've heard they've been slow to be delivered. I, I don't know, honestly, but uh, to turn on an old phrase, I just, uh, is there any conversation that we could have, any kind of discussion to make sure that no child is left behind when it comes to opportunity for education? And so um, that's really important. Um, that's obviously a negative implication from this whole COVID thing. There's a whole host, if we're just gonna be complete about that. We've talked a lot about the virus and obviously that's a bad outcome to, to come down with COVID, get sick. Uh, that's a terrible thing to happen. There's many other terrible things that can happen from this as well. Uh, we have single uh, parent households, kids are being left at home. We have IEPs and that's a range of different issues and, and trouble with distance learning. We have um, you know, dual income homes where they're taking time away from work to work through IT issues. Probably the most important thing is mental health. And I know Jay read a really powerful email last week talking about suicide. And I just think we need to frame that in the correct context. We've, had, we've done a lot of talk about virus mitigation. I don't know if there's been enough talk about the real threat to our kids and that's suicide. So that's a really important topic. I think we need to make sure that we have the safeguards in place to make sure that they're, they're not at risk and uh, to help them through this whole, this whole process. So the virus is important. It's not the only thing. I also want to talk about the metric. I know it's been talked about a lot here, the threshold. Those active cases, as of today, 311 of those cases, bare minimum, are over 21 days. That's beyond the definition that the Department of Health gives us. If we just took those 311 out, we would be in the low threshold. And so we wouldn't be in any kind of threat to close schools. So that, that certainly needs to be addressed. And I understand Mr. Golden has talked about there's, there's, a, there's a closed door session with health experts and they weigh in and all that makes sense. All I'm saying is as a parent, as a community, we need to know what we're working for. We need to know what that bar is. I understand it's a multi-factor decision, but it needs to be out in the open so we know what we're working for. We're washing our hands, we're wearing our masks, we're socially distancing, we're doing all those things, but we don't know what we're working toward if we don't know what that measurement is. The last thing is the phased reopening. Uh, you know, I'm very happy to hear that the kids are heading back to school. Uh, that, that's a great thing. I just know a few days ago, we had a working session here and we talked for five hours. We, I, I watched for five hours. It was a long meeting. There wasn't that much discussion about that phased reopening. And I, I'm just, I'm a little bit at a loss. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're here. I expected a five o'clock surprise phone call because I'm not on the board, but I, I'm kind of curious, 
the board is here to consult and advise. And I just felt like there could have been more discussion. I'm going to wrap up. There, there could be more discussion in terms of what that looks like so we could all support that in the right way. So I'm not sure we have transparency in government as we should. I think the board has a lot to offer. And I think that as a community, we can all do better to make sure we do the right thing for our kids. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kelly Jackson. Kelly Jackson, uh, 8217 Middlewick Lane, Nolansville, Tennessee. Um, I'm here today as a mother. I am the mother of three amazing kids, all of which have IEPs. Now, they are not high needs. They do not have extensive physical disabilities. However, the disabilities that they do have, um, their education is being impeded no matter how hard their teachers try. And let me tell you, their teachers are working hard. We absolutely love, in fact, in particular, my sixth graders teacher is amazing. She's worked with my two older children and she is probably the only reason that I have not already pulled him and put him in a private school, even though he wouldn't have access to the same, um, the same um, assistance and uh, services that he has access to in public schools. For him, the most important thing is that he is able to see his teacher, look her in the eye, see how she is responding to him. He's entering middle school. He has three additional teachers that he isn't used to. He's having to figure all of this switching classes out. The first day of school, he had a Zoom uh, uh, end on him abruptly, he thought he'd answered a question wrong and his teacher booted him from the Zoom. He was absolutely inconsolable. His stress, he has anxiety, he has ADHD, so this isn't helping him. And no matter what they do, no matter how hard they try, he is not getting what he needs as hard as they are trying to deliver that for him. Normally, all of my kids, well with the exception of my oldest one, have a para at their availability when they're in school. My daughter is dyslexic. She can't take notes and she can't read the material the way that the other kids do. When she is in a position where she is having trouble, that is where her para comes in. And these people are amazing. They have been so wonderful with my kids and they have really helped them to learn. But I think probably the most, I am that para now. My husband and I are, the, are those paras now. We both work 50 plus hours a week. So no matter what the teachers do, no matter how hard they try, my kids will not get their IEP services delivered to them in the most beneficial way that they have had since we've been here because we're in a virtual setting. It's just not possible unless, of course, the district wants to send a parrot to my house every day. And that's obviously not an option. But that's what I do now. I work 50 hours a week, plus I'm a parrot to two kids, plus I'm a tech person, <laughs> which I'm not a tech person. It took us an hour this morning to get online. And I understand that the school doesn't own the platform. However, it was the one that they chose. So these are issues that the district needs to, to own. And so far they have done that, but at the same time, that doesn't help me. When my daughter is panicking because she can't get into a Zoom meeting, you know, and she's crying. So I guess, why I am here is I need for my children to be in person with their teachers 
to receive in-person education and I need them to stay there because otherwise I may as well go somewhere else and pay less for a house so that they can get in-person education. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Lori Shimento. Hello, Laurie Schmento. I live at 7110 Arno Alisona Lane in College Grove, Tennessee. Um, I'm here tonight to represent a friend that could not be here to tell the story in person, but this is her letter that she wanted the board to hear about her, her daughter and what her daughter is going through right now. And this kind of plays into what Jay talked about at the last board meeting with mental illness. My daughter was so sad to miss school from the very beginning of the pandemic. She loves learning in community. She loved her teachers and friends all learning together. I knew she was depressed. More and more activities were canceled, more and more disappointment. However, I didn't realize how bad it had become. In the end, it led to an eating disorder. She wanted to have some control over her life and food is it. She is so happy to go back to school in two weeks, but she knows there's always a chance kids will be sent home again. So food remains her source of control. We all need to be aware that our children are suffering from isolation more than we realize. I didn't realize it, how many other kids are suffering inside. I've been told this may take two years for her to recover from, and then she may still deal with this for the rest of her life, all for a virus that children don't suffer from. And that's the end of the mom's letter. But I just, from my own personal perspective as a mom, this is one of my biggest concerns right here. Um, I just feel like we're not paying attention to the biggest threat, which is actually their mental health, not the threat of COVID. Um, so that is it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Our next speaker is Jenny Halterman. Jenny Halterman, 2785 Rutland Court, Thompson Station. Okay, um, I wanted to mention the greatest generation first. I think that we all are wowed by the greatest generation and we would say that we're wowed by them because they went into clear and present danger. Why did they do that? They would tell you that they did that because they wanted to provide freedom and safety for the generations to come. However, now we're asking a different group of people to go into danger. Um, the sad thing I think is that we're asking our children to enter a dangerous place of isolation and fear um, for the sake of adults. I just think that's really out of that's really weird. We would say that's what ancient people did. We modern people would never do that. But that's what we're doing. We're do, doing that because it, and it doesn't even impact them less than 1%. So I wanna say that first. I also wanna ask um, those in the room, how many people have children at home, school children, Williamson County school children at home? Um, those of us who do, we're pretty tired. 
I, I really shouldn't be here. Um, our family is, is kind of worn out, and I'll tell you why. Um, and my time's going short. Um, I think I've realized that my children are holding it together. Um, and they've been holding it together for a long time. Um, they've had so many disappointments from the beginning. Um, first, school was canceled, and then we never went back. Their season was canceled, then more summer activities, and more and more. And I think they thought, we all thought, surely this will end soon. Surely. Well, then when school didn't start up, it was just like this big, you know how you, you hold your breath and you're just waiting until it's over? And then it wasn't over. It's still not over for them. And so the other day on Friday, when my daughter and I were out for um, an errand, when we came back, my other daughter was waiting at the door to tell us the news. I didn't, I hadn't got, well, my husband got the call first. And so we didn't know. So she was so excited to tell us the news. And my daughter that was with me, she just broke down. And it was like she let that out. She let that holding it out, right? Holding it in, waiting, waiting for this all to come to an end. And she, tears rolled down her face. And she, my husband was there, and she just collapsed into his arms. I want you to know, I didn't know. I didn't know it was this bad. It's bad. I'm disappointed that we're not acting like the greatest generation. We're asking the little ones to do that. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kristen Bratton. Forgive me for reading, but I want to make sure and stay in my three minutes. Kristen Bratton, 3508, um, Titans Lane in Brentwood, Tennessee. Um, Sheila, Nancy, Rick, Gary, Jennifer, Casey, Jay, Candy, Dan, Elliot, Angela, Brad, Eric, and Mike Fletcher and Jason Golden, you carry the responsibility of 40,000 souls. The souls of 40,000 precious children with wonder and excitement about the world the third grader that is wide-eyed to take her favorite teacher a brand new drawing on a crisp piece of paper, but she can't because the teacher can't see it through the computer. The senior boys who high-five in the halls because they are finally king of the school, something they waited 11 years for. But now all these children are being eaten up with anxiety and depression and contemplating suicide, facts that you all heard from the letter read Thursday night. This is what you signed up for, these 40,000 souls. You are charged with the responsibility of doing what you said you were going to do. Isn't that what we teach our children? When you campaigned for that seat to represent the community of students, you gave an oath and promised students that you would defend them against anything that threatened the education spelled out in WCS policies. These policies are written and along with the state and federal laws, ensure that every child receives the education they are legally entitled to. Is it, a very, it is very literally their right. Board members, you are charged with holding the superintendent responsible for a plan that now violates WCS policies in many ways. Just one student schedule policy states that all high school students attending grades 9 through 12 shall attend seven hours per day 
at school, not in school, but at school. Not to mention the lack of transparency right now. The role of the board states, the board shall require reliable information, which enables it and the staff to work towards the continuous improvement of the educational program. We ask that you make a motion and vote to reject the entire COVID school plan and the metrics and the vague language that is blocking our children's rightful education and send our kids back to school and to stay there permanently. For those parents and teachers who are afraid to go back to school or hindered with pre-existing conditions, they should be allowed to opt in for online school if their health requires. But the health of 80% of the souls, the mental and physical health of those souls is in your hands and it requires continued sustainable education in person that is sanctioned under WCS policy. And when your head touches the pillow every night, I pray that those 40,000 souls come to mind because they are in present danger and they are still in your hands. Thank you. Thank you. This is our last uh, speaker for this evening. Uh, we're ready to move on to our next agenda item, which is the approval of the agenda. Would you like to make a motion to approve the agenda? Motion to approve. We have a motion from Mr. Welch. We have a second from Mr. Haw. Any discussion, comments? Okay, I see none. Go ahead and do a, a roll call vote, please. Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Andy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Kate, uh, I'm sorry, Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. And Nancy Garrett. Yes. Thank you. 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. The next item is the approval of the consent agenda. Anyone like to make a motion for the approval of the consent agenda? We have a motion for Mr. Fiscus. I'd like to second that. We have a second for Ms. Garrett. Any discussion, comments, questions on this one? Okay, I see none. And if we go ahead and do a roll call vote, please. Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Candy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. Nancy Garrett. Yes. 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, board. With the approval of the consent agenda, we approve the June 15th, 2020 school board meeting minutes. We approve the July 13th, 2020 special call meeting. We approve the 2020-2021 annual agenda. We approve the sick bank leave trustees. We approve the outstanding purchase orders for school activity funds. We approve the e-plan application and budget for the fiscal year 2020 IDEA innovation grant. Approve the addition of online administrator and edit to 2021 classified pay chart. And we approve the pedestrian bridge and sidewalk connecting Oakview Elementary and Legacy Middle Schools. 
Next item we have is communications to the board. Superintendent's report. Mr. Golden, are you there? Thank you, Mr. Chair. I am here, and I appreciate very much uh, everyone's presence, whether uh, on uh, on campus, uh, at least at our, in our maintenance building, or remotely. Uh, I hate, like I mentioned on Thursday, that I'm not there physically. Uh, of course, as, as you all know, uh, we spent most of the time with Mr. Anderson and me during this uh, COVID-19 time uh, together, but socially distanced as we led the, the, the majority of our board uh, remotely. I will tell you also that uh, I'm, I'm very glad to, uh, to, to now be in our second month of having public comment again. I think there's a lot of value, a lot of value in our, in our community commenting publicly. We've also learned over time with this that uh, the way people communicate is evolving. And uh, I know that you all as board members and I too have had many uh, email communications from, from our community telling their individual children's stories. And I so much appreciate that. It's really good to get those reminders, um, whether by email, phone call, or, or at public comment of, the, of, our, of our individual students and their, and their personal experiences, because those experiences vary so much. It really does emphasize to me the importance of differentiating uh, how, we, how we teach uh, and how we give assistance to our students. Um, as you know, um, uh, we, we spent a lot of time at our work session just a few days ago talking about uh, many aspects of where we are as a school district in this un unusual time. Uh, I wanna mention uh, really uh, uh, this, this evening, um, a couple of developments that have just happened in the last couple of days uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because it emphasizes how much changes on a daily basis uh, with this pandemic and what, and what each of us are going through as, uh, as professionals and individually and, uh, and give you some updates on our, on our schools. Uh, but before I do that, I, I do wanna mention that I very much appreciate Gary Anderson. Uh, the, the leadership he's given over the, over the course of time uh, in so many ways has affected so many people. We can't even count the amount of people um, he's had a positive impact on. And I wanna echo what Mayor Anderson said uh, with his thanks to, uh, uh, to, to, uh, to Gary Anderson. Uh, when I came to the district in 2006, Gary was the board chair and, uh, and he is now leaving as board chair. And I wanna specifically thank him for his leadership. In so many ways, he has taught me personally uh, the value of, uh, of, of, of instruction, the value of the scope of what we do for students. And he's, he's led us through uh, good times and challenging times. And, uh, I, and I know that we're in a challenging time right now in so many ways, and I really appreciate how he's led us these last few months. And we may, we may, uh, uh, we, we may have a moment to, to share a little bit uh, more about that later on. But let me first mention um, the, the first example I was gonna uh, talk to you about with technology. Uh, many of us know that this morning, uh, ClassLink, which is the access point for, for so much of what we're doing remotely and online, uh, opened at first, but then quickly shut down. And so we did have about an hour or so where ClassLink was not working. Uh, and, and we went through a diagnosis process with our vendor trying to determine the reason for it. Uh, as we got it back running, uh, we learned uh, a method uh, to get it back running. And what we soon learned as folks were doing that was that that worked for some, but not all. 
And so it took multiple processes to, uh, to get ClassLink up and running for everyone. Uh, and uh, I appreciate one of the parents who spoke earlier and mentioned uh, that technology is someone else, you know, it's a vendor. Uh, but, but of course, uh, it is one of the vendors that we chose. And I want to specifically mention a, a, a brief conversation I had with Mr. Galbraith. Um, it may have been by email uh, today that uh, the technology will continue to be a challenge, uh, that, 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 uh, that, that there are some items in technology over which we don't have control, but what we do have control over is communication uh, and how we communicate. So I want to thank, uh, I want to thank him for that comment for us. We sent a communication out district-wide uh, to let everyone know, um, but the reality is we will have bumps and we know that every day there are some bumps that, that affect folks uh, with technology. And those bumps are different. Those bumps are different from what we've experienced when everyone was on campus. Um, often uh, in the past, we would get quick emails that say blank, blank platform is down for a few minutes in the middle of the school day for so many, for so many reasons. But when individuals are at home, uh, the scope of, 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 of that uh, tends to broaden. We had a quick example last week where, where there, was a, uh, there was a power outage in a portion of the community. And so every one of those items has a bigger impact uh, on students when they're learning either remotely or online. And so I want to emphasize to everyone that we're aware of that. Uh, and uh, I want to make sure everyone knows that you don't have to have fear that you might get counted absent, that, that you might miss an assignment, that, that we have had detailed discussions about that, about making sure that when those moments happen, whether it's because of something with on our side or something that's happening in someone's home, that, uh, that, that we know that, that, uh, that there's gonna be flexibility uh, over the course of the school year uh, with that. Um, so I think it's very important for everyone to know that, that, that frustration, we all feel that frustration uh, when it happens. Uh, but for each of those, uh, those items, we're gonna work through the diagnostics and figure out where the challenge is and fix it. And we're gonna to continue to, to grow in how we communicate uh, those, those items uh, when they come up. In this specific example, uh, you know, part of it includes doing that diagnostic to try to figure out what the issue is so that we can communicate that. But what we determined uh, today was we really needed to do a system-wide uh, uh, notice so that everyone could be aware. And that's the continued work in progress. So for those who struggled and hit that frustration, that moment uh, when, uh, when, you, when you couldn't figure it out, um, we apologize for that. And we're gonna continue to work on our side uh, towards improving that. But there are some also, also some issues that I feel like we, and we know we can uh, help folks improve. We had a discussion briefly in the public comment about uh, internet access. Um, we did uh, um, go through the process with many of our families uh, who struggle with internet access, and we're continuing to work through those on an individual basis. We have a tiered system uh, where if folks don't have uh, internet access in their home, then we, 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 uh, we try a product called the Kajit. And many, all you board members have heard that many times. Uh, it's a new term uh, that, that we didn't even know about six, seven months ago. And then the next tier is if, if uh, those hotspots, the product of the Kajit don't work, then we do have some students who are actually physically in some of our buildings uh, to get that internet access. So we are continuing to go through that process. But the next thing I want to talk about is really that bigger issue. As you know, we announced on Friday 
that uh, we were ready to go back uh, to, to um, all our students who are studying remotely on campus. And it is a tiered process. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and as you know, this coming Monday, our schedule is for our elementary students to return to campus. The uh, grades up through second grade have been on campus. Kindergarten actually had their first full day today, and I hear it went really well. But grades three through five, starting this coming Monday, will physically be on our campus. Next Friday, the 28th of August, we will be opening our campuses to sixth and ninth grades. Uh, that's going to serve a couple of purposes. Number one, for the value of those students so that they have a day uh, where they get that familiarization on campus and, uh, and, and they get that, that direct relationship uh, with their teachers and they get a familiarity with, what, with the schedule. Uh, lunch, as an example, that process uh, so, that, so that they have that moment of comfort uh, a day ahead of their peers who have largely been on campus uh, during parts of their careers. We're also gonna go through our safety process with those smaller numbers of students at, six, at sixth grade and ninth grade at, the, at our middle and high schools. And then Monday the 31st, uh, all other grade levels will be on campus. And I tell you, we are so excited about that. <clears throat> and I wanna talk uh, about um, uh, uh, two parts to that. One is, I know that even today, we've had some emails from, from folks questioning, well, why are you uh, opening back given that we were at the low protocol uh, on Friday, but now we're back to the median? Uh, and we do see that. Uh, as we made that decision on Friday, just a couple of hours before we published that decision, uh, the, the numbers on our, on our metric that's tracked by, by, our, by our local governments and even at the state level uh, dropped to 0.49%. Uh, and we've spoken about the metric a lot. Uh, and then over the weekend, it went up to 0.53. And then even today, it went down to 0.52. And I think it's really important for me to let everyone know that that metric that we develop locally through our process, especially this past week, has really emphasized to us that, that that is a good workable metric for us locally. You know that it was developed locally, uh, that, that, uh, that it was developed through our safety and health folks talking to, to local uh, safety and health leaders to try to get an approximation of where's the point at which our local community has capacity to address the virus in such a way that, that we can reasonably and safely be on campus. And as we went through those discussions last week uh, with, with the safety folks, what we were hearing consistently was, you know what, when you made the announcement about three weeks ago, uh, we were at a spot where it, it was, it, we were, it was, it was going to be really difficult uh, for us to open on campus, knowing that as the State Department of Health has told us, there will be some positive cases, there will be a need for quarantines. We were at 0.63 when we made that announcement uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, now, and during those days, we've been hovering in the around, around 0.5. Uh, and what we learned from so many of, uh, of, of, our, of, our, uh, of our local leaders what we learned was that they are ready. 
We talked with EMA, emergency management. We talked with our local health department. We talked with our hospital leaders. We talked with our municipal governments. We talked with our county governments. And what we learned was that in all those, the pressures that so many of them were feeling back when we were at 0.63 have really relaxed. And, and, the, and the, the pressure of those numbers is noticeably different between that 0.63 and around that 0.5. Uh, which was our trigger point for those detailed discussions when we announced that metric a few months ago. And so that process is working. Uh, we, we are not at a point where because we hit the 0.49 on Friday and then it went to 0.53 and then down to 0.52 where, where we're, 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 we're stepping back. What we know is that based on that, we're in that range where uh, it, is, it is appropriate for us to be on campus. Uh, and I know that there was a lot of discussion on Thursday night, and uh, and I apologize for us not walking through some of that some of that detail because we were still in the midst of that detail, and it's very difficult to say that we know blank fact when that fact is still evolving. But what we do know is that um, our communications with those departments uh, is working, and I am encouraged about where we are. And, uh, and, and where we're gonna go. Now, with that said, what we know with this pandemic is there's no guarantees. And so I think it's very, very important for us to emphasize that second piece that I wanna talk about, which is following those safety protocols uh, that, have, that have been advised so hard uh, by healthcare professionals and those points of emphasis that we've made. Uh, number one, <clears throat> if you're sick, stay home. And, and I want to put a little bit more detail into that. Uh, and one of, the, one of the detailed conversations I had with actually one of the county contact tracers, uh, we've had some planning meetings with the, with, the, uh, with the contact tracers, with the health department. But I also had the advantage of having a one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, with, with our contact tracer as I've been going through this personally. And one key point that, 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 uh, that was driven home for me in the context of if you're sick, stay home, is that, the, that this virus can be subtle. And so the, the point that was made to me is if there's anything unusual in your, in your health, even if it's mild, it's probably something you need, you need to think deeply about and, uh, and consider that in the context of uh, if, you're, if you're sick, stay home. So that's a point that I know that they talk about publicly. Uh, so that's number one, that it's important if we're going to sustain this, uh, if we're going to be able to stay on campuses uh, and, and make sure that the, that, the, that the scope of the virus doesn't, doesn't spread um, well into, into the WCS community when, when, when numbers of uh, students and teachers come back on campus. It's very important if you're sick, stay home. We're going to continue our screenings, temperature screenings, uh, and going through that process. The point of washing your hands regularly is extremely important. But you all know that the, the, that, uh, the one big difference between where we have been at our medium protocol uh, and where we are going to be in these next few weeks as more students come on campus is that social distancing. Uh, common sense tells you if you're socially distanced, if you're not near somebody, the chances of you getting uh, an illness are drop very, very low. But when we go back on campus, we're not going to be able to stop people from being um, near each other over the course of class periods. It's just the nature of the size of classrooms. 
And so the, the, the importance of the mask becomes uh, even greater. And I will tell you that, um, that in this first week that school was in, at the elementary levels, the, the use of the mask went really well. And so that's another factor that we considered when we decided that it was it's time for us to, to start back, that the use of the mask was going pretty well. Uh, so we're very, we're very pleased about that. Uh, and we wanna encourage everyone to respect that. And, uh, and, and I, I appreciate that that culture is there. Mayor Anderson uh, issued a mask order and renewed it. I am convinced that that's, that has been a factor in those numbers going down uh, over these last three weeks as the trend went from 0.63 and has settled in that 0.5 range over these last three weeks. The governor himself has included uh, in, in, his, um, in, in a lot of his press conferences, a strong encouragement to wear masks. So that's a very important item for us to wear those masks as, as we go through this. We know that student mental health is critically important. None of us can imagine uh, uh, the, 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 the experiences that individuals have had. Everyone's life experience in this COVID-19 uh, pandemic has been unique to them. But what I do want everyone to know is we do have a lot of services available to support, to support people. And we believe that the structure we've put together is, the, is our best hope to be on campus uh, uh, throughout, throughout uh, these next few weeks and in, into months. But again, everyone being careful with that is extremely important. Uh, let's all work together uh, to maintain that. But I have to give that caveat. There's no guarantees. Um, we let folks know when we send our message out on Friday, right near the end of that message, uh, that unusual things can happen. This is a pandemic. Um, so I, I hate it. I wish I could give guarantees uh, in this context, um, but I can't. Uh, so with, with that, uh, I, I do want to let everyone know that, uh, that um, we have considered deeply uh, uh, where we are with this protocol that the, the numbers have been play, uh, have, have gone through the, have, have, have mattered to us in having those discussions, but the depth of those discussions with our professionals has convinced us uh, that we are in a position where, where we believe um, we've got a really good shot uh, at, uh, at maintaining that with implementation of all our safety protocols. I felt like it's important for people to know that we're not gonna bounce back and forth just because we, uh, we went from one to the other. We're gonna stick to our commitment. We're gonna stick to our commitment uh, to, uh, to make no decisions with, with more than, uh, you know, with, 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 uh, with less than those two weeks um, um, as we go through uh, this unusual year. So, uh, Mr. Chair, I know that we had many, many questions over many, many issues uh, at the work session, but I felt like it was important to me to give that update on those items that have, that have changed uh, just in the past three days since our Thursday night meeting. Uh, and, yes, sir. Uh, we have, uh, sorry, I thought you, were, thought you were wrapping up. Do you have something else you need to add? No, sir. Nope, that's it. <laughs> Mr. Wimberly has his hand raised here remotely. So, uh, Mr. Wimberly, do you have a question or comment for uh, uh, Yes, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Golden, could you explain two things to me? One, how the contact tracing works from the school perspective, and the other is how the mask exemptions work and the um, level of request for the mask exemptions. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Uh, so, so number one, the contact tracing process. Uh, the, so, it, and, and I may ask uh, Mr. Flesher to share a little bit of detail, but here's the basics. We find out uh, of, uh, of a report of a positive case in two possible ways, two main possible ways. One is uh, a parent or a student or a, or, a, or a staff member may let us know. Another possibility is that the health department lets us know. Uh, so if we get a call of a reported positive case, the health department has put together some protocols for us to follow to start helping them do their contact tracing. Uh, and so uh, we, we start that process ourselves if we get a call from somebody so that we are prepared when the health department gets involved. And the standard that they have for their contact tracing is if anyone is within six feet of someone for 10 minutes or more, six feet within, uh, for 10 minutes or more um, of a positive, of someone who has a positive test result, they constitute what they call a close contact. And that triggers a recommendation for quarantine. Uh, and and, and this, the basic standards they have for that is if somebody has a positive case, it's in essence a minimum 10 day uh, separation or quarantine um, they have a they have a an, another overlay of making sure you don't have a fever uh, for 24 hours before that um, at, at the end of that 10 days. But if somebody's exposed, they have a 14 day uh, quarantine process from the date of that exposure. So um, so we 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 give the information to the health department based on what we know of those of those contacts and make a recommendation to our community that the health department has started this process of, of checking based on the preliminary report we have, you may have been exposed and you will be hearing from the health department through their quarantine process. That's the, that's the short version for me. And Mr. Fletcher, I know that I've left out some, uh, some, important, um, some important aspects of that, uh, including the nature of the health department. Um, but I will tell you um, uh, that, uh, that um, one of the items that we found encouraging in our recent discussions with our local health department is the state actually facilitated them being able to increase the number of their contact tracers. Uh, so they have those additional folks on board uh, to, do, to do this temporary work during this pandemic. That's actually left us um, more encouraged uh, about, about where we're going with additional folks on campus. I don't know if that's enough detail, but I do want to give Mr. Fletcher a chance if I haven't shared enough detail. I, I think that's plenty of detail, but I do have a follow-up question. So if, um, if we're quarantining, let's just say the uh, exposure comes from a teacher and the teacher will have contact with a fairly significant number of kids during the day. So what happens to that class? So, what happens uh, to that school? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So they, if so, number one, they count their numbers uh, to figure out who who was exposed, and if an entire class uh, has to quarantine, then they have to quarantine. And that particular class, if that's all we have to move in the building, uh, will go to quarantine. And that particular class, especially the youngest grades, can immediately switch to remote starting the next day. Um, this is not what we intended, but one of the one of the good things about us starting in this meeting protocol 
is so many of the of the bumps uh, with with uh, technology access uh, um, have been processed through early in the school year. If those events uh, need to happen and when they need to happen, then um, then the individual students are, are going to be more more ready with their teacher to do that. But I will tell you that more often than not, based on our knowledge of how 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 things are. Are worked through in a classroom, there may be a smaller number of students uh, rather than an entire class who might end up having to quarantine based on that six feet. Um, one of the things that, uh, that we're recommending in each class is that we actually have a seating chart. Uh, that's going to facilitate the health department determining if there is a positive case who might have been within that six feet for 10 minutes. Uh, also, there's been a point of emphasis with our teachers, minimize that, that direct contact as much as you can. It's not going to make it perfect, but it is going to minimize that. Uh, and so there might be individual students uh, who, need to, who need to quarantine. Uh, and so I felt like it's important to mention that for those who quarantined, we're actually going to work on an individual basis with those students to find a way to maximize their participation in school in the event they have to be quarantined, but an entire class does not have to be. Uh, and so we have our platform, Schoology, Google Classroom, where students will have all their, their assignments. Uh, we also are recording a lot of our core uh, classes. We also know that in many examples, a student will, if they're feeling well enough, be able to participate uh, either by audio or even through a, through a video with what's going on in the classroom. That's gonna be worked out on an individual basis based on individual capabilities and individual needs uh, in the event of, of, a, uh, of a quarantine that does not cover the scope of the of an entire class. And the other question related to mask exemptions. Thank you. So uh, number one, uh, from a numbers perspective, uh, our mask exemptions, and I'm, I'm double checking with Dr. Webb and Dr. Royer, the last number I saw, we actually talked about it this morning, our total mask exemptions have been in the range of 60 to 70 uh, requests district-wide. Uh, the math exemption, we, ha uh, has a, we have a form where our parents fill it out, make the request for, max, max, for a mask exemption or a cloth face covering exemption, and explain the health or safety reason uh, for the exemption. Uh, uh, now, I will tell you one worry we had when we got school started was that we were concerned that we might have many, many just, just come with those students on that first day. Our parents who, uh, whose children face those issues actually were very good to let us know ahead of time. Uh, and so we do encourage our parents over this next week, if you have a health issue and you haven't shared it uh, through the mask exemption, make sure you give your principal a call this week so that you can fill out that form uh, for us. It's very important that we honor those, but we're also going to double check that uh, and have, have specific conversations with those parents about their child's health issue. It may not just be about that cloth face covering, may not be about that, those, the mask. Um, likely we're gonna wanna get our nurse involved so that we can make sure we, uh, we keep an eye on those individual students and support them in any way we can. There are also some alternatives that, that are that, that may not serve the total full purpose of a, of a mask, but can help in, in minimize some of the risk. Uh, the face shields uh, we've learned from the, uh, from, the, from the health professionals are supplements, um, but if, there's, if the mask can't work, then that's an option that we look at as well as we walk through those individual issues with families. I'm trying to remember Dr. Webb, um, I, I see you and Dr. Royer. Am I close in our numbers so far? Could I get a nod? 
Okay, so I'm, I'm close with the, uh, the numbers that I shared. Thank you. Thank you. Our, we have uh, three other board members who have asked to speak. Mr. Haw, Mr. Galbraith, Ms. Garrett. Mr. Haw, you're up. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, a couple of things that come to mind as we prepare to have more students on campus uh, are you know, and look beyond the K-2. Do we have enough masks to support the kids who do not have them possibly or forget them from time to time? And what is the expectation for the older grade levels on how that policy is going to be enforced? So the, to answer your first question, do we have enough uh, masks? Number one, we are encouraging students to, uh, to, to bring their own. But if they don't have them, yes, we do. Um, Mr. Samuels, how many thousands do we have in stock? Do you know that number off the top of your head? It's somewhere above 20,000 that we issued. We got masks from the state. We've got masks from um, a number of our of VMA. We got masks that we have purchased ourselves and we have masks that were donated. So it's a good amount. And, and plus we have purchased disposable ones um, in, in case someone happens to lose one or misplace their, their one for a day. So we have about 20,000 now. We do anticipate over time, if this virus continues and every indication is that it will, we may need to purchase some over time. Um, we'll learn uh, as we go uh, based on the volume of, of, uh, of those. And then your second question, Mr. Hall, was about high schools and enforcement. I do wanna ask Dr. Webb if she would uh, address that specific to the high schools. I'd be happy to. We're going to address each, each situation individually as it comes, one conversation at a time. And as students enter campus uh, and arrive, they have to be wearing a mask to enter campus. Uh, so we'll be providing not only a temperature check at every entrance, but we'll also have uh, masks. Some of those 20,000 that Mr. Samuels just indicated will be at the entrances and we'll be supplying a mask to every student as they come into the doors. Thank you. Um, the other comment I had is, uh, Mr. Golden, you had touched on this earlier about the, the communication when we have system issues. And I, I think that somebody who works on IT, I totally understand that we're going to have system issues from time to time that are out of our control, uh, especially as I think our vendors are probably going to have some trouble with scaling up as new schools come online with this. But I think one of the expectations I would, I would suggest is we do a great job of communicating out the issues we have with transportation in the mornings, and uh, we don't have those right now, for the most part, I would imagine. But um, it's almost like it's analogous to that. I think. Um, that a heads up to the users as early as possible, even if we don't have the full issue identified, just so that they know that it may not be on their side. And it's, you know, instead of having kids that are basically banging on the classroom door trying to get in. I think we need to try to do everything we can to just give a heads up to whatever broadcast that, that some issues are occurring and that the proactive communication of what the expectations are for the student uh, as far as uh, making up the, the classroom time or not being marked absent. I think people just need to know that and have that reassurance in this environment in particular. So the more that can be a reinforced in the general message, uh, I, would, I would suggest that. Thank you, thank you for that, Mr. Hall. And that was actually the, the specifics of, uh, of what Mr. Galbraith had mentioned uh, to me this morning. Uh, and I, 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 it took us about an hour to send that, to send that message out system-wide. 
Um, and so we have learned from that, and that's a very good suggestion. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next speaker is Mr. Galbraith. And uh, Mr. Mitchell, I do see you that you want to speak. You'll be third in line. So, Mr. Galbraith. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so, Jason, I, I guess you, you mentioned that I had a similar question as, as Casey did this morning. But I, I guess, is there, a, is there an additional way to, to communicate with, with, the, with the masses? And, and I want you to think about the specific person, the specific kids that I'm thinking about are how to reach the, let's just call it third through sixth grader that doesn't have a phone, isn't on the call out system and doesn't have a parent at home who's stuck with a WCS computer, and I'm, and I'm speaking from experience here, and I mean, is, is completely at a loss, doesn't know what cash is, um, reboot my computer, I'm not really sure why, I, I'm doing these things, I mean, if I had a checklist of stuff, my ADD kid is not gonna be, like, it doesn't reason and cortisol levels from high stress, high anxiety, it goes out the window. And so I, I just, I, what, is our, what is our plan? And there's, there's gotta be a way for them for, we, I don't know that there's, I mean, these kids aren't gonna have a telephone to be able to even call into a help desk if there was one, but can we post a message on the website and we can just tell them, hey, log in and push this button and at least get, if you can get internet access, you can go to this, to the homepage and you can see if, if everybody's down or if it's just you. Um, but, but I'm sure in some cases sitting there and everybody pinging the thing every five seconds isn't probably the best way to get a site back up and running. So like, have we, have we thought about a way to, to get in touch with these uh, I, I dare say call them latchkey kids, but they're sitting in front of their computers alone. That's a really great question. Uh, and we have had some discussions about that. Uh, and, 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 and to your point, uh, it is more difficult to communicate with individual students. We have a Blackboard system uh, where we can actually send uh, emails to parents. But again, to your point, if a parent happens not to be there, a student uh, might not have it. I think number one that, that we've talked about is let students know on the front end before an event happens uh, um, uh, that, that it's possible something may happen. And, and I do think there's room for us to, to improve in making sure everyone grasps that, uh, that, that, that something may happen and, and, and don't worry. But I really like your suggestion of having an alternate placement, whether it's, a, whether it's a, on Facebook or social media or our website. Uh, for students to, to say, if, for us to tell students, if, if, if you have no other access, go to blank uh, for some communication. Uh, and I will tell you, that's something that we haven't, we haven't done well enough at this point. I, I just thought about the, the internal email system is, would be a fine place to start. They all had access to, the, to email. Anything that doesn't rely on ClassLink to, um, to get on would be, would be a start, and that's easy. Yeah, but to your point, I think that letting them know ahead of time before the crisis comes. Right. If you can't have access, go to makes sense. Um, no, thank you for that. Uh, can we, 
I don't know if Miss Hall is um, is able to give us a a staffing update, but and this might be this might be more more along the line of just acknowledging that that in the next two weeks or by you know by the end of the month when we can get probably at least before the next board meeting, um, I'd like to see where we are from a enrollment standpoint, uh, the detailed enrollment by school and and grade, um, and I'd. I'd really like, we usually don't have to look at this, but I'd really like to see um, the, um, the PCR as far as what, what the PCR based on the numbers would tell us and then any exceptions that we're, that we're making um, because we don't want to, we don't necessarily want to get rid of teachers and, and we're, and we're going to make exceptions for the numbers. Well, those are usually few and far between, I, I would imagine, as we, as we took 7,000 students out of the out of the schools that really creates more dividing lines and probably more places to make exceptions uh, but I haven't heard us really um, getting rid of teachers but, but I know the I know that problem probably exists somewhere at, to, to some extent well that's a great question and uh, and we are we are staffed below our projections uh, but we're not staffed below our numbers right now. Um, and it's for that very reason, because, uh, because we, don't, we don't staff if, if, if there's not a, a clear need. Now that, of course, can, can go both ways. What that means is we're at a stage with, with um, our WCS online that we don't have additional teachers. You know, that we had the deadline a few weeks ago and, and we're locked in on that deadline for staffing because that's, that's, how, we, that's how we budget. Um, I will tell you, I have a number now that we know isn't trustworthy because every day, especially this time of year, is, uh, is unpredictable with, with, uh, with schools entering data. Um, so right now, uh, uh, as of today, we have a 39799 but that doesn't include pre-K. Uh, that doesn't include some of our early childhood. Uh, and we do know kindergarten, of course, had their first official day. Um, so usually at about the 20-day mark, uh, we have some good numbers uh, that really tell us where we are, uh, and and uh, and staffing is also typically a 20-day issue as well. So Miss Hall is here. Uh, I am going to um, ask her to to speak to that. Uh, and before she does, we mentioned this, if I'm not mistaken, uh, um, on at Thursday night's meeting. Our biggest concerns right now are classified, some of the classified positions, especially teachers' assistants. Um, and we talked about that in a good bit of detail on Thursday, um, plus substitutes. We really haven't had a big, um, big push yet, a big need for substitute teachers. We were short last year. So I, I am very concerned uh, long-term over the course of this year uh, with our ability to, uh, to staff with our substitute teachers on a daily basis. But, you know, Ms. Hall mentioned uh, last Thursday, the super subs where we're given uh, two to uh, committed substitutes to, to every campus to help fill in. So Ms. Hall. Um, thank you, Mr. Golden. Uh, Mr. Galbraith, I wanna be sure I've got your question right. Um, I think maybe you were asking if we're overstaffed. And so I just do want to confirm to you that we're still well below the number of positions that were provided in the PCR um, and they, the way it's worked out to staff with students going to online and then still staffing uh, for the school buildings, we've been able to uh, to break that out pretty well to where, you know, we don't, 
we don't have any indication that there's going to be any need um, to not uh, have all of the teachers that we have hired already on staff. Hey, Vicki. So I guess to be clear, my question was really more along the lines of, of student-teacher ratios and not necessarily staffing in total. I know because our worth, you know, maybe a thousand students below what we what we thought we would. Um, you know, we probably didn't hire all those students because they weren't enrolled, but we had we had about a thousand more disenroll um, than we than we had in previous years. So that's that. I just want to make sure that we're are, are we are we overstaffed too? Are we are we exceeding our ratios or below our student teacher ratio that we budgeted on? That's all I was asking. Okay, gotcha. And I think we can get you more solid numbers on that, um, probably at least by the next meeting. I think some of those, some of that information is still being sorted out. Gotcha. And I will tell you one last thing related to that. Our WCS online is 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 staffed exactly for the number of students in that online program. That was part of that process we went through uh, that took so much data entry and removal of individual, of individual uh, students. Where, where, there's some, where there's still some staffing um, double check to do with making sure our data is right uh, with our remote and on campus is when individual students leave a particular, uh, a, a particular um, school uh, or a particular class to go to online, one student leaving um, will will slightly reduce the ratio, but will not reduce the need for the same number of teachers. And so the, the aggregate numbers uh, don't exactly equal the to total number of teachers because to your point, it really takes delving into each individual grade level uh, to, to, to make sure that we are, that, that, that we're, that we're um, that we're maximizing the efficiency of our, of our numbers. Right. Okay. And one, just one final um, statement or question. I, I really, I really like the opening, the reopening plan that you presented. Um, I would have, I, I would have loved to, um, to have seen that and to, and to have that as the discussion um, last Thursday night. Um, I think it would have changed, and we talked about this just, um, well, I don't know, we, we text more than we talk, but we, uh, we texted about this um, to, uh, to a great extent over the weekend, but um, I would have really loved to have seen that. I think it would have really changed the, um, the dynamic and the, and the questioning um, of the, and maybe even the length of the, of the meeting on Thursday, um, but I, I'm excited about getting back into school um, and, um, and I know that everybody is, um, I think probably more so than, than they were, um, before school was taken away from them. I think people are, um, are willing to, to do what it takes to, to stay, um, both out, both outside and inside of school. So, um, I'm, I'm really, am excited about that. I, but, and I, and I want to, I just want to speak to the metric because um, I'm kind of like a broken record, but I, I found some information today um, about the active cases um, that that confirmed what uh, what several of us have been have been pointing out in the numbers, and and a directive came out from uh, from the State Department today of Health um, acknowledging that the recoveries are 
um, are stuck in the system and if they have a and the, the cause is that they they have a an investigation where the the recovery was set to no and they those were supposed to clear out of the system at the 21 day mark and they weren't and so and and nobody knew it it was just it was just kind of rolling this number but the number that I had as of um, as of a week ago was 630 cases that were marked as no. Some of those were probably within the 21 day period. Some of them go back as far as March. And so they are gonna start clearing those out. And I've asked how that's gonna show up on the report. Is it just gonna show up as a new recovery? Uh, but what you're gonna see is those numbers are gonna go, um, go down really quickly. And it's gonna be because of recoveries that should happen. I mean, it, it's going and we're not ever gonna be able to see what the what the true curve should have been back in the day um, or what, but I, and I, and I'll, I mention this because I know you keep saying that the, that the metric's not important, but you know the exact number of the metric on the day that we, we announced that we were closing um, and on the day that we announced before and after the day and the day that you, um, that we announced that we were opening. Um, and, and it's, it's not a. It's not an opinion. It's a fact that that number is overstated um, by at least a quarter of those cases, if not more. And I think it's more. A quarter would be 21 days from the date of the result, which we know that even it's based on the date the date of the test. And so it's probably overstated by. How, my my best guess is about 500 cases. And so we're we're not at 1,200. We're at 700, um, which puts us in the 0.3 range right and so um, if we were in that range we're, we're not even having this conversation we're still talking with the health department about the best way to contact trace the best way to mitigate um, but but we're not talking about it being the difference between oh next week are we gonna or, you know is, is something gonna happen and we're gonna go back up of a, a hundredth of a percent and, and cause us to be in the um, in the medium range like that's just not where we are and the, the trend is going well but but, and I, and I try to do this to stay intellectually honest, but, um, but the trend is gonna show a drastic downfall um, and it's not really that good. Um, so the trend, the trend is what it is and it is going down, but don't, I mean, don't let it fool you that, that we're gonna go from 0.5 to 0.3 to say we're out of the woods. It's really flatter than that. Um, but it was, it's just so overstated right now. This is just kind of a market correction. So. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you. Ms. Garrett, you're up, and then and then uh, Elliot, and then Ms. Cleveland. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I wanted to um, bring up uh, the quarantine concept and the quarantine issue. And I also, at the same time, wanted to bring up um, something from Dr. Piercy, the Commissioner of Health, that I think has been misinterpreted um, in, in, a, in a recent interview with one of our great local journalists. Uh, she said, what we are seeing is erring on the side of caution, maybe being taken a little bit too far. What I think has been interpreted is that she's talking about the return to school plan. But what she's actually talking about, and I have the interview pulled up here, is once people are back in school and quarantines happen, 
that's where she's pointing out that she was seeing erring on the side of caution, maybe taken too far. But uh, Mr. Golden, it's my understanding that we are following the state guidelines for quarantine. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. That's correct. Okay. So we are following what she was talking about, which is what you've talked about tonight, the six feet, more than 10 minutes. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So I, I believe in, in making sure that our parents know what to expect. Um, so I hope that everybody realizes that once we get back to school, it still may be a bit of a bumpy road um, if, if children have to quarantine. And there may be questions like, um, like what, if, what, if half, what if half a class and the teacher have to quarantine, but the other half doesn't have to quarantine. I mean, there are going to be other issues that come up. So I think, I think our community needs to be well informed about that and needs to know about that. Um, that I just, I just wanna make sure that we acknowledge that. Um, I'd also like to know, um, I know that we're working on a dashboard um, to provide more more transparency into quarantine, but do we have any numbers right now of how many staff and possibly students that we have in quarantine? Yes, ma'am, we do. And actually, Mr. Samuels is pulling that up. I'm, I'm going to give an approximation uh, because I do know uh, that that uh, that that uh, that it does it does change uh, day to day. Um, scattered among about 20 schools, um, we have somewhere in the range of. I'm not mistaken, Mr. Samuels, somewhere around 70 quarantined at individual schools. Uh, but before Mr. Samuels gives the exact numbers, I do want to mention your question about dashboard. Um, we, we, we are looking to find a way to convert um, our spreadsheet that gives very specific detail about individuals, time, with names that can only be an internal document for our nurses. Uh, and you know, in, in appropriate staff to manage, uh, and, and find a way to be able to, to appropriately share that in a way that doesn't violate um, individual um, uh, health privacy uh, issues. And so, sometimes if you get into that that specific detail at a school, because there might be so few, it could it could be a, a FERPA or a HIPAA violation. Um, but we are looking to find ways to share that with our community. I will tell you that what we do is send out those notices in the event of that reported case that I mentioned to Mr. Wimberly. So those who, who, who have been uh, determined to have been within that uh, distance do get those notices directly. Number one from us that, that there's, there's a possibility you may, you may be exposed. And then number two from the health department when they actually do their contact tracing work. Mr. Samuels, what's the, what are our current snapshot numbers? Sir, on the, on the isolated uh, um, side, which is folks that have tested positive, we've got 67 people as of last Friday. Okay, so that was probably, that's, that was my 70 number, I guess. Yeah. On, the, on, on, on the quarantine, we're well over 200 now, and most of those are, are students, um, uh, athletics being some of the big contributors. So we're we're still trying to pull that data together, but as we as we continue to have more uh, close contacts identified by the health department, um, we have to go back and update the form that we have the, the database we have for that. We are 
we are trying to move quickly toward having that in, in a format that can, can be posted somewhere, uh, but, uh, but we're not quite there yet. And Ms. Garrett, I will also mention to you that in many of the superintendents conferences that the Department of Ed has with us, we actually meet three times a week. Uh, these last couple of meetings, uh, there's been some pretty detailed discussion with um, some, some um, uh, health authorities from the Department of Health on the nature of that contact tracing and that quarantine. Uh, they've been very good to share with us the specifics of exactly how they do that. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that, that uh, 10 minutes is a real key point uh, that, they, that they continue to refine. Thank you, appreciate the staff's work on that. All right, thank you. Uh, Mr. Mitchell, you're the next speaker, and Mr. Wimberley, I have you speaking after Ms. Cleveland. Mitchell. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Jason, uh, I wanted to uh, make sure you know we're all glad that you're participating with us tonight and, are, and is feeling well enough to, to, to work tonight. Uh, it's what uh, you're very glad your illness is no, not any worse than it is. Um, I have a couple of questions about WCS Online, uh, but before I get to that, I wanna talk a little bit about uh, uh, communication because it is important, I think, that uh, we, we over communicate, uh, especially on the technology challenges. Um, I, can, uh, I live that as a profession every day and, and it is imperative that we, we send um, notifications out and then we send updates, can, you know, every 15, 20, 30 minutes uh, and, and assume that uh, more is better. A uh, couple of, I, the idea of maybe posting uh, landing page wcs.edu when we have some type of outage, even if it's partial, so you don't have to go look for it. It's the first thing you see when you get to the district site. Um, I think maybe uh, Twitter messages is a consideration. Uh, the term short message uh, service, SMS, those small uh, texts that come that we all get from our banks or from our credit cards when we paid a bill, that SMS code is a, it, it is a, capability to do mass broadcast of text messages to people as well uh, that uh, we, is a service we might look into employing. So anyway, my point being is that when we're, as we've gone into the new realm of, of, of being an online service provider, uh, we, we need to kind of take uh, into account the best practices of, uh, uh, of web-based services to communicate where, what the status of our systems are um, to our users. And as I said, probably, as I suggested today, maybe consider a, a framework around when we send something, how often we send something, and then also a closing message as well. Um, the question I have about online, WCS online is, what kind of help is available? I've gotten a couple of questions from constituents. Uh, what kind of help is available for the parents and the students that are just now experiencing 
what, three and four days of this, uh, of this platform that they're, you know, they're kind of at the same place the remote learning parents were on day two, I guess, day one and day two. And what do we have set up for these parents to reach out and get technical or, or curriculum assistance for their children? Well, number one, I want to mention that, that, uh, that we're asking for more staffing for that because we know that, that we're not staffed enough to do that. And that's actually uh, something that was, was, uh, was um, approved in the consent agenda with the teacher position. So I felt like it's important to mention that. Um, second, I do want to defer to Dr. Webb uh, to, to walk through the process. We know teachers first uh, is, is always the best answer in a, if, to a question like yours but I do want Dr. Webb to go through some of that detail. Absolutely, I, I concur with what Mr. Golden just said. You're reaching out to the teachers specifically, um, if they're having issues, we do have a help desk alternative for them as well if they need to turn in a ticket uh, for a technology issue that we can help address. But the, the quickest and best way to resolve any kind of curriculum or technology issue is to reach out to the teacher directly. Some of the most recent issues that we're having are more global and uh, those issues are affecting large numbers of students. Uh, and so they do take a little bit more time to resolve, which we're, we're working on as a district to uh, get ahead of. So, so thank you, Dr. Webb. A quick follow-up. Um, if the student is having technology challenges or unable to, to navigate through the platform, is that also to go to the teacher or is there a, is there a, a better suggestion? I would, I would start with the teacher. Some of those aspects um, is just learning how to navigate. Some of the issues yeah. that we've worked through um, is just knowing and learning how to get to the information. It's there, but, but um, finding and navigating the platforms are obstacles. And some of the uh, issues are greater than that, but the teacher can help direct them to the right source. Uh, so I would still start, start there. And I'll, I will say too, our teachers are working through those, some of the same issues that our students are. Um, you know, so the individuals that we have assisting students are the same individuals that we have uh, assisting teachers through the through these same obstacles with technology and learning new platforms. And so we we are asking for that additional assistance to help both um, both groups of, of individuals with the issues they're experiencing. Thank you. Um, so I, the, the next question I have about uh, WCS online is have we set kind of a milestone for performance evaluation for our students to, uh, if, we, if we have of these 6,000 students, all of a sudden we discover that there are, there is a subset that truly are not performing on, with, this, with this model and that we're, and that probably need to be, there needs to be some remediation or some maybe even suggestion of consideration of going back to the, to the standard uh, in in person. So, so I guess my point is, do we have a do we have a a date or a, or a plan to evaluate the the success of the students in WCS online, and then you know say, okay, well here's somebody that obviously is needing some additional help, or you know, and after that help, if it doesn't work out, we we make a call of of saying that this isn't gonna isn't gonna work to keep this student in there for the semester. 
Well, of course, we have progress, re progress reports that are basically every four and a half weeks, but we're actually doing a lot more than that uh, with the teachers and their, and their daily involvement um, with students. So I will let Dr. Webb answer, answer that question. Yeah, just even comparing to a traditional sense and a traditional on-campus learning environment, uh, it usually does take a week to two weeks. Two weeks is kind of the sweet spot for students to get acclimated to a new learning environment. We see that with students who um, are in new classes, who transfer to new schools. So Kindergarten. Two, yes, absolutely. Yeah, right, two right. Weeks. Transition, mm -hmm. right, right. Those step transitions are, are challenging for sure. That's right. So uh, we're continue, we'll continue to monitor, of course. The teachers are always monitoring and adjusting uh, to their students, but about two weeks in is when we're going to get the biggest sense of what's, uh, now that the kinks are worked out, students are acclimated to their new environment, what additional kinds of supports do we need to put in place to help individual students? Um, and then again, you know, Mr. Golden indicated that four and a half uh, mark, but two weeks to four and a half weeks, that's, um, that's a pretty pivotal point to see how students are performing and uh, what additional supports are needed. So, so I would make the suggestion, and I know, I know we set the policy that, that it's, it's, you, you sign up for the semester, but um, if that, that we set up some process to about to be able to um, evaluate if we have students that are just really struggling or parents that say, I just can't do this, you know, I'm not gonna be able to make it through the semester or, or my child is, is showing signs of depression or something that we're, that, that we look to at least vet, vet requests to come back. Uh, I, 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 that would be my recommendation that, that you guys kind of take into consideration how we're going to handle those requests, assuming that they come. That's good. Yeah, to that point, you know, um, because we're using all of our current staff and that we've shifted students around and we shifted teachers around, there is limited availability in both places. We're, we're you know, yeah. we're, our, our traditional classes are, are pretty full. Our online classes are pretty full. And so, yes, there, there is that semester um, commitment that families made and that teachers made to supporting students in, in this new environment. But also we know that there are exceptions. And so we'll vet those exceptions as they happen for sure. Um, you know, is there room for one or two students to make movement at each grade level? Certainly there are, but there's not room for 50 kids at each, to each grade level to make movements at this point. So we are going to continue to monitor and try to figure out what are the issues that each family and each student are experiencing yeah. once we get through these technical issues that are causing, you know, some bumps for a lot of folks right now. Uh, and then uh, work to figure out which, which, which of those can't be remedied and, and which can, and then make exceptions for those that can't. Our number one is by far give the supports uh, that each individual student needs. And the good thing is that we do have that experience with our with our WCS online leadership yep. uh, through Miss Fisher and the work she did with high school students. But it's a it is a different it is a different um, experience for some of our youngest students. Um, we have found that generally speaking, the families that that chose WCS online uh, do have a lot of uh, the the parents are there. Uh, yeah. largely. Um, and, but, but we also recognize there are things that happen, life happens. Uh, and so we, we, we will be working through those individuals. Well, and I, and I guess I'll make my, make, make my point too, that with the, with the WCS, you know, the online model that we put in for the high school juniors and seniors over the last couple of years, we did have a, you know, we, we did have 
kind of a, a safety line there where we came in and said, okay, you're, you're it just, you don't have, in that case, I think it was more, you don't have the maturity to be self, self-directed, so to speak, and pull you, pull you out, right? But uh, uh, I, I guess my point is to, I think we've got to be flexible too. We're, we're asking our, our parents and to be flexible with us as we're living in this new paradigm of 2020 uh, fall semester, but uh, uh, we've got to uh, continue to be, be flexible too. So, so I, uh, good job, everybody. I, I appreciate again, like I said, Thursday, the efforts and the, and the passion that you guys bring to, to your job every day. Uh, it, it's very much appreciated. And I, I want to make sure you know that it doesn't, that it is not going unnoticed. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. Our next board member speak is Ms. Cleveland and then Mr. Wimberly and Mr. Welch. Um, thank you again. I'm very excited for the schools coming back in. I'm very excited. Uh, and piggybacking off what Mitch, Mr. Mitchell was saying regarding online, I'd like to, um, I'd like to address uh, remote, remote learning and in classroom, how are we going to handle the request for those parents that do not feel their kids are not confident maybe in the metrics or decisions and they don't feel that their kids should go back to school? Are we going to allow them to continue to be remote as if they were quarantined? Or have we thought about, you know, being flexible in those requests? Uh, Ms. Cleveland, we have thought about that. And from a teacher perspective, we need those students to be on campus. Um, our, our plan uh, that, we, that we vetted through the summer and established was for that WCS online, if you were at a point where, where you, where you uh, felt like you just couldn't be on campus. I will tell you from a metrics perspective, like we talked about, uh, in all our conversations uh, with 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 uh, that that list of locals that we talked about, and in our analysis, uh, it it it's time uh, for for us to to be there. Uh, we don't have additional teachers assigned to to continue to teach uh, remote uh, because all those teachers have been assigned those students whether they're on campus or remote. Uh, we do have that quarantine where we'll be able to do some, 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 some help for those students. Again, that's going to be individually driven. But for those who chose the on-campus, uh, you know, our schedule is for on-campus. We don't have the capacity to assign teachers at every grade level for every class for those who are making a, a separate selection. Okay, and so that's, that would be my um, next question is, um, as a comparison, so if... This, the students are in the class and they go get quarantined, they're not necessarily going home for say a two week period, they're not going to be remote necessarily then. They're well, it's gonna, it's a, that, that's a great question. They, we don't have separate teachers. They're not gonna get pulled out and have a different teacher. They'll still have all their same teachers. But in each class, uh, the, 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 uh, the principal and the, uh, and the administration and those individual teachers will work with those who are quarantined. So some, some may not be able to because of health issues and may not be able to participate. But what we do know is that we already have those platforms in place. So every assignment's available. 
We also know that we're recording and we'll continue to record key assignments. So there may be some ability for those teachers to use your term remotely. They may be able to spend some time at different times if they're not at the doctor's office, et cetera, where they'll be able to keep up in that way. We're also going to give, give the possibility of participating with audio uh, as that teacher is in the class with, uh, with those students who are on campus. And I'm gonna invite Dr. Royer and Dr. Webb uh, to, to, to share some of those other details because we spent a lot of time talking about the importance of putting those individual students first and finding ways to maximize their experience, knowing that we can't just create a one size fits all uh, for them because some of them are gonna be quarantined, some of them are gonna have health issues, some of them might, might um, have, a, have a, an access issue that we had originally resolved by having them on campus, but suddenly they're quarantined and they can't be there. I mean, it's gonna be very complex and, and individually driven. I'll, I'll be happy to speak to that, Mr. Golden. We actually have teachers who've been utilizing our current technology for quite some time to help uh, educate students who have to be out or to educate students who need to see the content delivered in a different way or um, an additional time um, in addition to what they've already gotten in the, their regular classroom instruction. So utilizing our smart boards as an example and recording instruction using um, flipped classroom kind of videos uh, to help with that communication our teaching learning and assessment department is actually going to be producing a, a, a communication over the next week and a half that we'll send out through our communications department uh, to help families understand a little bit more about all those different types of technology that their students may be exposed to as uh, students at home the different kinds of things that we'll utilize to upload into uh, Schoology for them to access to keep education going for them for that two weeks uh, that they may be quarantined or absent for other reasons. Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next board member is Mr. Wimberly and then Mr. Welch. Wimberly? Uh, yes, uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I, I guess at the risk of sounding like the crusty old gray bearded man who really, really needs a haircut, which I guess I am, I do have something to say uh, really to the community. And it is that I understand the situation is hard. We're all concerned about our kids, our jobs, the health of our families, the well-being of the county, uh, even the well-being of the country. This is a bizarre, tough, tough time. I understand we're all stressed, and some of us are, quite frankly, angry. And some people are angry at our school system. I get it. I understand it. But I would like to, to offer this advice and I guess make a request. If you're angry at us, do not, please do not take it out on our staff and central office and in our schools. They're operating under extremely, extremely challenging conditions and they're all stressed and concerned. If you wanna be mad at the school system, then be mad at the school board, not the staff and express your anger to us if, if you must express it. Uh, we're all thick skinned and we need to hear what you're thinking even when, when you might be angry. But please give our staff respect and that includes our superintendent. Uh, he, he's operating under a reopening plan that was approved by this board. It may not be a perfect plan and some things may be confusing about it, but he's got a real tough job and a real tough situation. And I'm sure he would say, the anger doesn't bother him, but again, I, I, I'm just going to say, I think it's misdirected. Tell him what you think, but please bring your anger to the board. 
and I guess finally, the thing I would say is, uh, regardless of what happens, uh, this is going to be a tough school year. The whole school year is going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. But I guess I have a lot of confidence in the fact that we are the Williamson County school system. We are Williamson County. And we're going to get through this. And so I would appreciate your cooperation on that. And board, I've got an idea. Why don't we make Gary Day on August 27th a holiday for everybody? <laughs> okay, bad idea. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Why don't you take the day off, Gary? <laughs> okay, thanks. All right, uh, Mr. Welch. Thank you. Um, so I had a question about what happens uh, if a child needs to quarantine from the class, but I think uh, Dr. Webb, you answered that. So that's absolutely fabulous. The, the other thing I, I had, um, just kind of in line with what Rick had said, is we're all very excited about the opportunity to go back to in-person class. We, we had said from the beginning that that was the goal, that was the ideal, and we're going to follow our reopening plan, the reopening plan that this board uh, voted for and we have. And I, and I think when it was announced, when it dipped uh, below the, the 0.5 and it was announced, there was some uh, concern in the community if, if that was a direct response to that. Uh, I think there were even some conspiratorial theories that we had somehow influenced that number to temporarily drop so that we could move forward with this. And, and I think it's just imperative to sort of saying we, we should recognize that, no, that that is not what happened. What we've done, what the district has done is follow the reopening plan that this board has approved that was based upon medical guidance, medical recommendations. It's what we're continuing to do. Those numbers are a guideline, but they're not the end-all, be-all number. There's a lot of other factors that uh, we're, the, the district is looking at, adjusting for, to, to make a holistic decision about what's in the best interest of the community. So while I can understand where those concerns, those questions are, are coming from, uh, was the, the district uh, reacting to uh, outside factors or uh, political influence, that's not the case. Again, the district is is following the plan that was approved, and this is where it led us to. Um, in line with that, we're going to continue following the, the plan, and so we want to get there, but I would say this to the community is we need your help. Um, we, we can't get there, and this was announced with the reopening plan that if the numbers backtrack, if they get worse again, we're going to have to rescind that, and we can't have that reopening. So there's two things that I just want to take this opportunity to really ask the community to do. Um, the first is if you are so inclined, uh, just be prayerful uh, about this. And I don't mean that in a, in a fearful way, uh, you know, it's uh, being scared and, and pray, but I mean that in a proactive way, uh, pray for Providence. Um, I know a lot of people have, I ask you to continue. And again, if, if that's where you're scared, I ask you to uh, do that and just um, have that blessing. The other thing is uh, less spiritual, it's more um, it's in this physical world, but it's be a team player. Um, we ask everyone to really keep masking up. Um, whenever you're out in public, whenever you're in groups, wear that. When you, when you wear a mask, when you're uh, among others, you're sending the message that you care about our kids and want them to be in school. 
Uh, I know it's an inconvenience at times, it, it's a hassle, but it's, you know, with, with some uh, health exceptions, it's certainly not an insurmountable thing to do. So that's the other thing that I would ask everyone to do is, is just, you know, please continue um, making that very small sacrifice so that we can get there as a community, we can put those kids in class, and we can keep our teachers safe, and our, our staff safe, and the family safe, and everyone else, because that's a very big thing to us as well. It's a very important part of the process. Uh, so that's all I want to add. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Welch. And Mr. Chair, if I may just very quickly mention uh, the, the, the numbers uh, that were on Friday actually reflected the detail of our discussions with, the, uh, with our local health officials. Um, uh, and so we've been talking over the course of, of many days up to that point. Um, we didn't, we, 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 I just want to make it clear, we didn't use that as a knee jerk. Uh, it's, it's, it's a factor, um, but the, the heart and substance of it is, is, is our, our community's capacity. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. All right, then next item is the board chairman's report. Just want to once again remind you of the TSBA fall district meeting on September 8th, and I believe that Lydia, you're talking with TSBA or Jason is about uh, whether to do it remotely since we host it, whether to do it remotely or to do it here um, in person. So they'll be reaching out about that. Uh, passive, board members, the passes that you get due to the COVID situation, uh, it's good for only you and not any family members with you until the COVID situation changed. So you get your pass, so know that it's just good for you right now. And then I would like to introduce to the Williamson County world, world. This is Jenna Prius and over here to my left, you're right on the screen. Then this is the world up there <laughs> that you're dealing with. So um, she is taking uh, my place in the fifth district. So I know she'll be very responsive to listening to people and she's already been following us and other board members have already welcomed her with two nice long meetings. So, <laughs> right. Anyone have any questions for me at this point? Okay, I see none. Then the next item is the approval of the superintendent's goals and objectives. Uh, at the work session, we talked about this, that uh, it's part of our requirement to have goals and objectives laid out for uh, Mr. Golden. And I'm gonna read those. There are four objectives that we talked about, so I'll read them real quick so they're on the record following our proposed superintendent goals for 2020-2021 to lead a district through the COVID-19 pandemic with sustained instructional services through the 2020-2021 school year, making appropriate adjustments to plans based on new information that develops through the school year. Number two, to improve communication with stakeholders through the 2020-2021 school year. Item number three, to review the WCS strategic plan based on the impact of COVID-19 Revise administrative action steps and time schedules to address progress towards strategic plan goals in light of COVID-19. And number four, to prepare a 2021-2022 budget that addresses changes in highest needs evidence and brought on by COVID-19. So if we could get a motion to get discussions on, on get a motion on the floor so we can have discussions. I'd like to make a motion for this. We have a motion from Mr. Hall. We have a second from Mr. Welch. Okay, does anyone have any comments or questions? Any uh, discussion on the goals? 
Mr. Golden, of course, you're always welcome to chime in here. Uh, Mr. Mitchell has his hand up. So, Mr. Mitchell. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I'd like to be on the record of saying I, I'm okay with these goals, but I would absolutely want these goals to be included as part of the evaluation process that we use for Mr. Golden. As I had stated that this previous year, I was kind of uh, it, kind of disappointed that we did not do that. So uh, what I would like to make sure that we get um, Mr. Chairman, whoever replaces you, maybe we can get uh, the board secretary to help facilitate having this discussion a couple of months prior to the uh, uh, superintendent's evaluation. Okay, Thank Mr. You. Golden, you want to speak on that? Mr. Chair, I agree with that. Of course, last year's goals were actually a hanger on from the previous superintendent. Um, and uh, I, I took those to heart, um, but, but uh, I very much appreciate that you'll have some specific ones for me and I agree that it needs to be part of the evaluation. Okay, any further discussion on this one? Okay, we have a motion and a second. And Ms. Glenn, could you call the roll, please? Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Candy Emerson. Ms. Emerson. Okay. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. And Nancy Garrett. Yes. 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, Gordon. We're ready to move on to the next item of new business. It's the resolution on testing and accountability for 2020-2021. Ms. Osbrooks, I believe this one's yours. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And before I start on the resolution, I'm going to take a moment of personal privilege. You asked me earlier if I wished to speak when uh, Mayor Anderson gave you the proclamation, and I was a little too choked up to speak. So I'm gonna take the opportunity now. I have heard the word statesman used throughout my political career. And that started as a small tot when I helped my parents um, work on a campaign for Congressman Robin Beard. But I've not met many statesmen. I've met a lot of politicians. And Mr. Anderson, you are in fact a statesman. I am honored to have worked with you the last three years. I am sorry to see you go, but you have taught me more than I will probably ever be able to repay. And on behalf of the county commissioners and myself as the board attorney, thank you. So with that, I will talk about the resolution. Well, thank you very much for your kind well, words. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Gary. I, I'm going to miss you. So with that said, I'm going to move on. Um, Board members, we have before us a resolution on testing and accountability. As y'all will recall, um, and this is asking TSBA to, um, the resolution is asking them to adopt this. As you'll recall, um, in April of 2020, there was a public chapter that was passed and signed into law by Governor Lee. 
and that particular piece of legislation removed the requirement for TN ready testing, end of course exams and other related testing and assessments. It also suspended student growth measures for teachers evaluations, uh, some other uh, teacher evaluation exemptions and allowed the state board to uh, promulgate some rules. This um, established a precedent for suspending standardized testing as the pandemic situation warrants. As board members, you know, as we've been discussing all night, we are still in the midst of COVID-19 global pandemic. What this resolution does is ask that the measures that were carried out uh, 2019-2020 school year be carried for the 2020-2021 school year. Uh, staff obviously recommend approval. And I'm happy to answer any questions if there are any. Uh, yes, Ms. Garrett. I have a question. This might be uh, for Jason. Uh, but when is the last year that we successfully completed state uh, so I think I could walk back through, um, wasn't this past year, wasn't, uh, we had one year, the year before, where we completed it, the year before we did not. Um, so I would argue that the, uh, the longitudinal data is, is where there's a really big gap, uh, in, in, in the value in some of this standardized state testing. Longitudinal data is a term you, I know you guys know that educators talk about, figuring out where cohorts go and where the growth is from year to year, either with those cohorts or with particular grade levels. Um, and I'm convinced this year, you're not gonna get value out of that either, because how are we gonna compare this year to next year or the year after? So what, what, was, the, what was the exact year? Um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, two years ago, we actually, the tests were all completed. The year before that, they tried to do it online and it failed. Uh, and so we actually had one year in between. So we've had uh, two bad years out of three. Because one of the reasons that has been communicated to proceed with the testing is to, you know, provide comparative data. Yeah, I just, I just don't see it for this year because it's such, a, such an unusual year. Thank you. Okay, would anyone like to make a motion? Get this, Mr. Welch with a motion. Mr. Fiscus with a second. Any further discussions on this one? Questions, comments? Mr. Welch? Uh, I just want to kind of put out there that I think this would be a good thing for the public to weigh in on. Um, you know, every, uh, no matter where you stand on the issue, all of our parents, I, I would love for you to communicate with the governor whether you are in support or opposition to conduct TCAP testing this year. Uh, obviously, the Board of Education has their own opinion, um, but I, I would encourage our parents to share theirs as well. Mr. Fiskus? To be clear, this is going to, we're going to, uh, once we approve it here, will we send it directly to the governor or will it go to TSBA first in the, in the convention to be sent together or how, what's the plan there? I think that that's our choice, how we want it to go, to TSBA, the governor, whatever. I know that part of the reason that Mr. Wimberly worked behind the scenes on this with the Sauce Brooks to talk with TSBA about getting it on the agenda in November. 
So uh, either Mr. Wimberly or Ms. Osbrooks, uh, what was the initial plan? Is to get it to the TSBA first or to get it to the governor's office? So, uh, Ms. I'm Mr. sorry, go oh, ahead. Go ahead, Mr. Wimberly. Um, I, I, I would say both. I, I agree with that, Mr. Anderson. My um, recommendation would be to send it to TSBA, send it to Governor Lee, as well as our legislative delegation. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mr. Galvin? Yeah, thank you. That, that was gonna be my recommendation as well. I, I talked to Representative Whitson back in May and asked um, essentially the same question and I, I forwarded you guys the, the response that we ultimately got from the House Education Chairman and his response then was really the, the legislature's, largely their response now, which is, well, we're just gonna wait and see what, what everything looks like. And my, my point then was, was that, no, you don't understand how, how the school year works, right? Like we're having to pace ourselves based on only being able to have, you know, three and just a little bit, three plus maybe a couple, maybe a week or so of, of preparation for the test. Um, and, and we have to do our whole scope and sequence based on that. Plus we're, we're making up uh, a missed virtually nine weeks of, uh, of last year. Um, and so we're having, we're having to change our complete, um, our complete year, um, the teachers and planning for that. Whereas if we had, if we knew that we weren't gonna have testing, then we could, we could space everything out. We could make sure that we incorporate everything that we lost. Um, and I just don't think that they're, they're thinking about that. They're not, they're not educators. They're not thinking like educators. They're, they're thinking like politicians that need the accountability. Um, and to Nancy's point, um, because we always agree, right? Um, that, <laughs> that, uh, that we, uh, we're, we need to, I mean, the fact that the fact that they need the accountability is kind of laughable, given that three out of the last five years we haven't had uh, we haven't had test data, especially had test data by the end of the the school year to get grading to make it count for um, for student grades and teacher evaluation. And, and if I may, Mr. Chair, address that last point that Mr. Galbraith made. Um, we are driven. A, in, in a, on a lot quicker pace than what these annual standardized tests do for us. Uh, we have a lot of formative assessments where we intervene with students through the course of the school year. Uh, and by the time this data gets to us, as it's structured now, um, it, it's not real valuable. Uh, and, and that's been true for a long time because of the nature of how we push. Um, and so that's a, that's a big factor. And I, I get the accountability piece, but that's that, that arguably is, is, is all that it is because by the time this data comes in for us, um, um, we're, we're, we're well past the need. Yeah, good point, excellent. Anyone else want to speak on this? Okay, uh, we have a motion and a second. Mr. Golden, I have been, not on purpose, but accidentally omitting you from your recommendation. I'm assuming this is your recommendation on this resolution. Recommend approval. Uh, if we go ahead then, ready to vote. Ms. Glenn, would you go ahead and call the roll? Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. 
Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Andy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes, yes, a hundred times, yes. Casey Hoff. Yes. Nancy Garrett. Yes. 12 yes, zero no. Uh, we didn't honor Eric's 99 other <laughs> yeses. All right, thank you, passed unanimously. All right, we're moving on to the 2020-2021 School Board Budget Amendments and Resolutions. Ms. Holman, it's your time. I think you need to lobby to get earlier on the agenda. Ms. Holman? <laughs> yes. Usually Jason goes over them. You want to go over them, Jason, or you want me to do them? Sure, I'll go over them. Of course, uh, um, the, the first one is Carry Forward Reserves, as Leslie put in her... In, in, in her, uh, in her um, detailed message, this is a regular move uh, um, each year. And Mr. Chair, would you like me to walk through each one or just individually based on each? I think since it's money, we need to do them individually. Is that correct, Ms. Holman? And yes, we need to vote on each one of them separately. Re recommend approval uh, for uh, 6C1. All right, we'd like to make a motion on this one. We have a motion from Ms. Garrett. We have a second from Mr. Welch. Any further discussion? Okay, I see none. Let's go ahead and do the roll call, please. Yes. Ash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Candy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. Nancy Garrett. Yes. 12 yes, zero no. All right, thank you. The next one is the General Purpose Budget Amendment Safe Schools Grant. Thank you, Mr. Chair. These are monies we, research, we receive as reimbursement for, uh, for safe schools, and uh, Leslie is recommending that we put those in the right account based on our receipts. Recommend approval. Make a motion on this one. Mr. Fiscus with a motion, second, and Mr. Welch with a second. Any further discussion? I see none, go ahead and call the roll, please. Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Candy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch? Yes. Casey Hall? Yes. Nancy Garrett? Yes. 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, board. The next one is general purpose budget amendment state grant carryover. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is a carryover of $15,000 for uh, what we call TAP, the Teaching as a Profession Career Technical Program. Uh, so the uh, carryover from last year's <coughs> budget, uh, recommend approval. Make a motion on this one. We have a motion from Mr. Hall. I'd like to second. Second from Mr. Welch. Any further comments, questions? Mr. Welch. Yes. It, it says we're going to be used the money for a uh, education summit in the fall. Um, is that going to be a virtual and in person? I just wonder if, 
not a lot of time, but, but maybe just kind of a, a little bit of additional background on that. Uh, thank you. That's a career technical uh, program, so I do want to get uh, uh, Dr. Webb to uh, answer that question. If she would. Can you repeat the first part of that question? He was asking me? if it was remote or, uh, or um, you know, if it was a virtual, if it was a virtual summit or live. Right. It just is an education summit in the fall. It's kind of curious what that is going to look like, as as far as we know, everything obviously PBD. That's right. It's going to be a blend at this point. So we are, we originally were looking at doing that live before COVID, obviously, but at this point, there will be, most of those aspects will be virtual. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. We have a motion and a second. Any further questions? As seen none, go ahead and call the roll, Ms. Glenn. Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Andy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. Nancy Garrett. Yes. 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, board. Our next one is general purpose budget amendment for the LEAP grant. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is our uh, centennial's 10th year of receiving some funds from the LEAP grant. Uh, uh, to uh, to promote um, after school programs, uh, recommend approval. I'd like to make a motion on this one, Mr. Welch, with a motion, and Ms. Cleveland with a second. Any further discussions? See none. Go ahead and call the roll again, please. Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Andy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. And Nancy Garrett. Yes. 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, board. We're on our next one, general purpose budget amendment transition grant. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, this, this actually is a, going to partially fund our transition teachers. Uh, for their salary plus three mentors, and uh, um, you, Leslie gave some additional detail about the uh, the uh, the calendar year for that grant, but we recommend approval. Thank you. Anyone like to make a motion for this one? We have a motion for Mr. Welch. Second. We have a second for Mr. Fiscus. Any further discussion? See none. Ms. Glenn, if you'd call the roll, please. Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Andy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. Nancy Garrett. Yes. 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, Gordon. Our last. Uh, Budget resolution is general purpose budget resolution 09.20 additional tech staff. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is this is our first uh, request of this year for for additional positions. Uh, um, Ms. Holman is recommending that we take that out of, of fund balance, and her main purpose in asking for it out of fund balance is just to be very clear with the county commission what we're doing. Uh, the reality is we know that. Um, that the bottom line number is what ultimately 
uh, starts the funding of our budget in, in, uh, in each year. But the key to this is what we've been working through the, this, this, this past few weeks. We need more tech support staff. Uh, and so we're making that request of you uh, tonight. Recommend approval. Thank you, Jason. We would like to make a motion on this. We have a motion from Ms. Cleveland. I'll, I'll second that, Gary. Thank you. We have a second. Mr. Mitchell. Any further questions, comments, discussion? I see none. Ms. Cleveland, would you call the roll, please? Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiscus. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Andy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. Nancy Garrett. Yes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, board. We're ready to move on to board policies first reading. First one is 5.305, Family and Medical Leave. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is first reading, of course, as you stated, for all these policies. This is our, uh, um, our first proposed full-blown FMLA policy. As many of you know, FMLA has become a much more common discussion uh, as a result of COVID-19. And uh, we're following, actually, the TSBA's recommendation that we have a separate policy putting this all in one place. Recommend approval. Make a motion on approval on first reading. We have a motion from Mr. Welch, second from Mr. Hawk. Any further discussion? See none? Explain. Angela Durham? Yes. Dan Cash? Yes. Elliot Mitchell? Yes. Brad Fiscus? Yes. Gary Anderson? Yes. Jay Galbraith? Yes. Sheila Cleveland? Yes. Andy Emerson? Yes. Rick Wimberly? Yes. Eric Welch? Yes. Casey Hall? Yes. Nancy Garrett? Yes. Your vote is 12, yes, zero, no. Thank you, board. Our next one is 6.409, reporting child abuse. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This uh, proposed change that Ms. Osbrooks prepared is to reflect a change in the law. Uh, for obvious reasons, I recommend approval. But I do want to point out specifically, I mentioned this at the work session, there's a, a key change uh, that I want all our administrators who are listening to know is that uh, reports of alleged child abuse must now be made to both the Department of Children's Services and the local law enforcement agency, uh, not, not one or the other. Recommend approval. Members, anyone like to make a motion on this one? We have a motion from Mr. Cash. I'd like to second it. Second from Ms. Garrett. Any further discussion? See none? Ms. Clinton, call the roll, please. Angela Durham? Yes. Dan Cash? Yes. Elliot Mitchell? Yes. Brad Fiskus? Yes. Gary Anderson? Yes. Jay Galbraith? Yes. Sheila Cleveland? Yes. Andy Emerson? Yes. Rick Wimberly? Yes. Eric Welch? Yes. Casey Hall? Yes. Nancy Garrett. Yes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. Our next one is 5203, recommendation and file transfers. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is actually a companion uh, policy proposal from, uh, from Ms. Osbrooks. 
to the uh, to the um, child abuse policy. It's a it's an institutionalized way to ensure that those who uh, who who might have engaged in sexual misconduct do not have job opportunities either as employees or contractors. Recommend approval. Would like to make the motion on this. First reading, we have Mr. Welch with a motion, Mr. Hall with a second. Further discussion? See none, explain. Angela Durham? Yes. Dan Cash? Yes. Elliot Mitchell? Yes. Brad Fiscus? Yes. Gary Anderson? Yes. Jay Galbraith? Yes. Sheila Cleveland? Yes. Andy Emerson? Yes. Rick Wimberly? Yes. Eric Welch? Yes. Casey Hall? Yes. Nancy Garrett? Yes. Your vote is 12. Yes, zero, no. Thank you. Our next policy on first reading is 63041, Title IX and Sexual Harassment. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is also a reflection of the new laws regarding Title IX, so I recommend approval. I'd like to make a motion for this one. We have a motion from Mr. Fiscus. I'd like to second it. Second from Ms. Garrett. Any further discussion? I see none, Ms. Glenn. Angela Durham? Yes. Dan Cash? Yes. Elliot Mitchell? Yes. Brad Fiscus? Yes. Gary Anderson? Yes. Jay Galbraith? Yes. Sheila Cleveland? Yes. Andy Emerson? Yes. Rick Wimberly? Yes. Eric Welch? Yes. Casey Hall? Yes. Nancy Garrett? Yes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. Our next one is 4.7002, Middle School Examinations. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is uh, um, correcting some language in our policy to remove district developed common comprehensive exams and, uh, and end of course exams uh, from this policy. Recommend approval. We'd like to make a motion for this one on first reading. I'll, I'll make a motion. Oh, Elliot, I'm sorry, Elliot made a motion, Mr. Hawes second. Any further discussion? Nope. See none, Ms. Glenn? Angela Durham? Yes. Dan Cash? Yes. Elliot Mitchell? Yes. Brad Fiscus? Yes. Gary Anderson? Yes. Jay Galbraith? Yes. Sheila Cleveland? Yes. Andy Emerson? Yes. Rick Wimberly? Yes. Eric Welch? Yes. Casey Hall? Yes. Nancy Garrett? Yes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you. Our next one is 4.701, maintaining test security. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, this, this policy change, of course, reflects uh, the uh, CCE uh, deletion, but also specifies uh, the district testing coordinator uh, to notify the uh, superintendent of schools and the State Department of Ed. Uh, of, of any uh, test breach. And I know there was some discussion at the, at the policy committee and maybe even at the work session about the timing of that. I wanna make sure everyone knew that those reports are virtually instantaneous when, it, when an issue comes up. Recommend approval. I'd like to make a motion on this one. A motion from Mr. Welch. I'd like to make a second. We have a second from Ms. Cleveland. Any further discussion? Seeing none, Ms. Glenn. 
Angela Durham? Yes. Dan Cash? Yes. Elliot Mitchell? Yes. Brad Fiscus? Yes. Gary Anderson? Yes. Jay Galbraith? Yes. Sheila Cleveland? Yes. Andy Emerson? Yes. Rick Wimberly? Yes. Eric Welch? Yes. Casey Hall? Yes. Nancy Garrett? Yes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, board. And the last policy for first reading is 4.7001, semester and final examinations. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This, this policy language change is also removing the CCE or CCA language, but it's also specifying that there may be more than one way to do a final examination in that first couple of, first, uh, couple of um, lines of the policy, where it could be in the form of written test, student projects, portfolio, or other assessment measures uh, established by, uh, by the uh, teachers. Uh, so we recommend approval of this policy as well. Okay, we'd like to make a motion on this one. <laughs> Ms. Emerson yeah. made a motion? Yeah. Seconded. Ms. Garrett is second. Any further comments or questions? I see none. Ms. Glenn, if you'd call the roll, please. Angela Durham. Yes. Dan Cash. Yes. Elliot Mitchell. Yes. Brad Fiskin. Yes. Gary Anderson. Yes. Jay Galbraith. Yes. Sheila Cleveland. Yes. Andy Emerson. Yes. Rick Wimberly. Yes. Eric Welch. Yes. Casey Hall. Yes. Nancy Garrett. Yes. Your vote is 12 yes, zero no. Thank you, board. That ends the regular part of the agenda. I would like to say a few words. Mr. Anderson, if I could interrupt you for a minute. Yes, sir. Before you say a few words, um, we would like to say a few words, uh, or I would on the, the board's uh, behalf here on your last night. We actually have a little parting gift for you. So I saw that. But the, uh, the first thing we, we have here is uh, Mayor Anderson sort of stole some of our thunder, but <laughs> a, a House Joint Resolution uh, in your honor that was passed by uh, Representative Whitson and, and Yes, the delegation, of course, would have been on it as well, but uh, the legislature was not in session at the time. And I'm going to go ahead and, and just read that real quick. Uh, Representative Whitson wanted to be here tonight and, and read it in person, but of course, he's doing the people's business at the Capitol tonight. So I'm going I'm to just, uh, if, if I, a moment of privilege, if you might, but uh, House Joint Resolution number 1243. A resolution to recognize Gary B. Anderson on the occasion of his retirement. And I'm going to skip a lot of these whereases. Uh, whereas it is appropriate that the members of this General Assembly should honor those citizens who have performed with uncommon devotion and enthusiasm throughout their careers. And Gary B. Anderson, Gary B. Anderson is one such esteemable person who has distinguished himself as a professional of the greatest dedication, ability, and integrity. And Mr. Anderson has been a highly respected member of the Nolansville community in Williamson County for the past 38 years. And his passion for music and arts education led him down the path of community service and toward the Williamson County Board of Education. Gary Anderson was recruited to run for public office by teachers in Williamson County who witnessed his involvement in the PTO and recreation center programs for children's sports and school programs as a volunteer music teacher and in the greater Nolansville community and whereas in September of 1990, 
which incidentally is when I graduated high school, not, not on the resolution, but I just wanted to add that. <laughs> Mr. Anderson was elected to serve on the Williamson County Board of Education. He has been a faithful member of the board for 30 years, 11 of which he has esteemedly served as board chairman. And Mr. Anderson's love of public education and passion for educating all students flow from his own personal satisfaction of attending school, a fond memories of being in the band and in clubs and playing sports and wanting all children to have those same opportunities and experiences. His belief that public schools are a reflection of the community in which the students live has shaped his decision-making as he endeavored to put the needs of students first in all decisions he made as Williams County Board of Education member. And during his tenure, Williamson County Schools has remained the top pre-kindergarten through 12th grade school district in the state of Tennessee, even while the district tripled the number of students served, staff employed, and facilities constructed. Yet perhaps Mr. Anderson's finest accomplishment while serving was, serving was his securing of music and arts teachers for Williamson County Elementary Schools. And Gary Anderson and his wife Joy have two children who attended Nolensville Elementary School and Page Middle School before graduating from Page High School respectively, and his grandchildren, who live in Williamson County, attended Mill Creek Elementary, Mill Creek Middle, and Nolensville High School. Mr. Anderson exemplifies the spirit and allegiance to family and community that are characteristics of a true Tennessean, and throughout his esteemed career, Gary Anderson has demonstrated the utmost professionalism, ability, integrity, winning the unbridled respect and admiration of colleagues and a grateful public. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the House of Representatives of the 111th General Assembly of the State of Tennessee the Senate concurring that we commend and congratulate Gary B. Anderson on the occasion of the retirement, extending our deepest appreciation for his 30 years of service as a member of the Williamson County Board of Education and our best wishes for every continued success in his future endeavors. It's adopted June 18, 2020, signed by the Speaker of the House, Speaker of the Senate, the Governor, and Representative Whitson. So we have these for you. And then I have a gift for you from us as well. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> and what you are holding there, Mr. Anderson, that is a flag that I have selected. Uh, this is to certify that the accompanying flag, the state of Tennessee was flown from the state capitol in honor of Gary Anderson at the request of uh, Representative Whitson, uh, July 15th, uh, 2020. That flag was also flown to uh, demonstrate both your commitment to uh, the, the state of Tennessee and education, also our county, uh, was thrown over the administration complex uh, last week. So it has been flown over both our state and county capitals. I am so appreciative. I'll take this off of the talk. Uh, I had a line I put in here. Make All right, we're fine with that. Gary, before you get started, I just want to thank you for um, not um, writing me off when I worked for you for two days in the 80s at the Belmont Snack Bar. <laughs> and I quit because I didn't want to wear a hairnet. 
So, now you're a mask. so yeah, now I'm wearing a mask. So I want to thank you for that because, um, you know, you could have just written me off and you didn't. So anyway, just wanted to bring, always try to bring that up whenever you I were still a student. Then, that's so true. You know, that's true. Now you've shifted roles. I, when I came to this board, I was a young man and I'm leaving as a master. <laughs> that was my little punchline for it, but thank you all so much. This is a great school district for what comes that. And you all will continue on and do wonderful things. Oh, thank, you. thank you. I to say, finally, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Appreciate it.